church. Uh, so let's see. Today we're going to be in Second Peter chapter one, verses sixteen through twenty-one, and it will be on the slide. It will be not the whole passage, just where we are. But Second Peter one, and that's verses sixteen through twenty-one. If you're using the Pew Bible, you are going to find that on page ten seventy-nine. Uh, so I'm going to read, our passage is 16 through 21. I'm going to read 16 through 18 first. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. So, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we get to come before you, to hear from you, to explore your word. And we just ask, Lord, that as you've prepared this wonderful service for your glory and for our good, we just ask that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would carry us along, Lord, and that our hearts would be changed and softened as we see how glorious and powerful and mighty you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, Pastor Kyle, Kyle had started this series in Second Peter, and he was talking about growing in the faith, okay? And um, if you may think of like a tree or something like that, that's normally a, a good growing metaphor. And we're going to see a lot of things when we look at the trees, but the tree is, you know, it's, we know it takes a lot of time, and the tree is going to grow. And there's going to be some changes, and there's going to be seasons of a lot of growth and seasons of no growth. Yet at the same time, we also know that there's a lot of things that are happening underneath the tree that we can't see. And the tree is connected to a bunch of resources that are actually going to help this tree grow. So we don't see the actual resources from time to time, but we do see the effects of the resources. And so today, you know, as we talked about last week, the growing in the faith and today naturally leads to the progression of the resources available. And that's what Peter is going to introduce to us. And we're going to see how these uh, resources interact together. And so as Peter starts this passage, we, you may have noticed that this was a testimony um, of the transfiguration. And this is an event that is uh, talked about in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Mark, it's found in Mark 9, chapter, or verses 2 through 8. It's found in Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36. And it's also found in Matthew 17, 1 through 8. And we are going to be looking at the Matthew 17, 1 through 8, because we would like to be refreshed, you know, let's refresh our memories of this event before we start diving into it. And so, I've got to read this for you guys. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still uh, speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And so what's important for us from this story for us to take um, with us for going forward? Some important facts would be to notice that Peter and James and John were on this mountain with Jesus. Um, another thing to note is that Jesus physically changed before them. 
He was radiant and brilliantly white, almost as a, like a bleached appearance. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus are talking, and the disciples are described as terrified. And something that's very important that we can see from this is that Peter wants to make a memorial. And now the tents may seem weird to us, but forget about the tents and, and try to see his intentions. He wants to remember this event. That's the point of the three tents. He does not want to forget how special this situation was for him. And then they hear, they verbally hear the father's voice, and then they're all alone with Jesus. And so if we look at Jesus's section, he's described, this is described as the veil being removed from his power and majesty. Um, and he is seen as he truly is. He is glorious and radiant. And he's talking to major figures of the Old Testament. And yet again, if we look at the disciples, we see they're described as terrified, fell on their face, and these events stuck with them and changed them. So what are we to make of these supernatural events? What is Peter trying to tell his listeners? So let's go back to Second Peter and see. When we look back at verse 16, um, we see, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we, were, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this is, his testimony is not a myth, and this is a really big deal in this section. If we're expected to grow in the faith, then it must be based off of truth. And if we're looking at, Pastor, at Peter's testimony or experience, two things will stand out to us. We see one, God reveals his glory to these three disciples. And two, we see the experience powerfully changes these three men. So that's the word in, really that's the word that testimony means in this instance is defined as evidence or proof provided, um, by the existence or appearance of something. See, these disciples, their senses were engaged. They saw, they heard, they witnessed, they experienced God. Peter's point is that God is real. Peter's point is that God is who he claims to be, that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. And this is revealed by the majesty and glory of which Peter was an eyewitness to. And we can see that in this passage that he's using strong vocabulary to describe this event that he vividly remembers. And so if we compare something like that, something that's so strong and so life-changing as this event, how would something like this compare to a myth? So, you know, I want to be careful because we have some kids here and there's a lot of myths to talk about. But if we want to say something from like a billboard, a lot of times we drive by and we'll see things like that. And one that I see commonly is love is love. So let's talk about love is love for a minute. Love is love sounds like a true statement. And to be honest, love is love is a true statement because love is the definition is defined as an intense feeling of deep affection. So love is love means an intense feeling of deep affection is an intense feeling of deep infection. That is the most true statement you can ever have. However, it is not life-changing. You know, that is that doesn't change you. Love is love, you do you, are clearly devised myths. Those st- statements do not come in to engage you. Those statements come in to excuse you. If you say love is love, that means what I have, how I define this, change. Because you cannot, we cannot have the same conversation. My, my, my guide, what, how I'm defining love is different than the way you define love. If I say you do you, I'm talking about you just take care of yourself. And now that sounds nice in person, but I cannot go to my kids and say, you know what? I'm just going to do me today. You guys need to do you. That will never work out. My house will be a disaster and I will be miserable. So you do you is not a true statement, although it sounds nice. But see, the thing is, is like, again, those, sto- those statements don't change you. 
They, ex- they excuse you. And so if we're going to find truth, if we're going to find real truth, that's going to require discernment. We're going to have to think things through like we just did with the you do you or the love is love. We are going to have to reflect and we're going to have to engage these things, these statements. And see, that's cool, but there's a problem. And that problem is that we know that we are all tainted by sin and that's what the Bible says. And so if we know that we are tainted by sins, by sin, we know that that's a flaw. And we can see that by the evidence around us, not only in the world, but in myself. I can tell that I'm flawed. I see things incorrectly or I see things the way that I want them to. So, so how am I going to get this clarity and this guidance that I need that is, that we can, that Peter is, is pointing to here? Well, if we continue in verse 19, we are going to see this is the application portion of our passage, but Peter is going to introduce these topics now. And so, if we go into 19, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. We have the, also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. So the source introduced in the, is the prophetic word. The prophetic word is also known as the Bible. And we know that the Bible claims to be God's revealed word. It claims to be all we need for this life as determined by God. It claims to be the way in which God speaks to us directly and God uses his word to change us. Now we can see that our experience and the Bible go hand in hand uh, as according to Peter. And this will lead us to our first application. The power and majesty of Christ are confirmed through the Bible and our testimony. So the power and majesty of Christ are confirmed through the Bible and our testimony. And I do apologize now because those links that you have are way too small for that. They were done on Tuesday. So take your time. <laughs> but anyway, all right, but we can support this, right? We can support this point as we look at verses from the Old Testament. Exodus 19.9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that people may hear when I speak with you and also believe you forever. See, God spoke in a thick cloud. This lines up with Peter's statements. The experience that Moses had adds weight to his words being conveyed so that the people would believe Moses, right? God spoke to Moses, and that gave Moses the authority to convey that message to the people, right? And so if we also, we can look at something different. Psalm 104, 1 through 2, or 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Again, we see the splendor and the majesty, garments like light. Testimony lines up again with God's revealed word. So if testimony is confirmed by the Bible, then we again have two implications. We should be expecting to experience God. God wants to use us and interact with us. And that's not because he has to, that's because he wants to. If we look at Peter's experience that we just talked about in the transfiguration, did Jesus really need to have that conversation in front of Peter, John, and James? The answer is no, because they didn't say anything. In fact, they, you know, like, like God, Jesus just chose to include them in the conversation. And so we know we cannot make God use us, especially like in a situation like that. That was just revealed to Peter, James, and John. But our eyes can be open to the opportunities where God is using us. And as we spend quality time prayerfully reading through the Bible, God will grab a hold of our hearts, and he will change our focus and desires, and we will be blessed with opportunities to experience him in new ways. The second thing that we can take away from this is that we should be familiar with the Bible. 
is, is the most reliable source of truth that we have available to us. And God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. So this should imply that we should be interested in it, we should be listening to it, and we should be applying this. And if we compare our testimonies with scripture, we're probably going to see that our testimonies are not like Peter's. I mean, this is, I've never had anything like that happen to me in my life, and I've never heard of anything like that happening to anyone in their life. But are, are, there's still testimonies amongst all of us. Like, clearly, God is working in the lives of the people. We see answered prayer requests all the time. We have people um, saying how God has worked mightily in their lives. And so what do these testimonies normally include? Well, they're normally, a, a, we see some kind of sight of maybe an unnatural power. Maybe it's very coincidental timing in this event. Maybe you just have a need met in a very unexpected way or a life-changing event. You know, we can have personal events or public events as part of our testimony. There are things that happen in my life that are between me, my wife, and my kids. And that's something that God has chosen to share with us together, right? And it makes us more intimately bonded, yet at the same time, it grows our faith. But then there's also public events that happen between either us in the church or me and work. And there's things that we can share amongst all of us. And then God uses those things to build up everyone's faith. And those are wonderful testimonies. And we see that the power and majesty of Christ were confirmed by Peter when his experience says, and the word led him to confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah or the Savior. The Bible says Jesus is our Savior, and our experiences should confirm that. You may be in a bad season, but has God done awesome things in your life? I'm sure he has. I'm sure you can think back about ways God has taken care of you. And so when we think about those things, we can see that his power and majesty have been mightily working in our lives through those these awesome events where he's chose to come in and interact with us. And so if, um, if his power and majesty are displayed in those events, can we look back this last week and see that his power and majesty were displayed? Are we expecting to hear or see his power and majesty displayed and confirmed? See, like, when we think about this last week, what do you need saving from right now? Our testimonies and the prophetic word confirm Christ's identity, proving his power and his majesty. Yet the Bible also shines light on our God-given experiences. So let's continue into the middle of verse 19. Let's see the next one. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I think we all want to do well. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Nobody really wants to fail. But you want to notice like what's required for this successful path that Peter is discussing here. It's to pay attention. It's to pay attention to the prophetic word. See, and paying attention is work, but it's not the type of work that we typically like to go for. See, I want to earn things. I want to do things. I want to accomplish things. Paying attention makes me slow down. It makes me calm down. It makes my senses have to be operate in ways that I'm not normally act, you know, operating in. And so it does require energy and work. But, it, but it, again, this is not work to earn, but it's work to slow down, to be patient, to watch and to reflect on what God's doing. And slowing down is definitely going to be helpful for us but slowing down is never a guarantee to a solution because I don't know if any of you guys are rocket scientists in here, but this will not apply to you if you are. However, rocket science seems very complicated. And if any of us are trying to solve a problem about rocket science, I do not think that 
patience and time is our issue. You know, we're going to need something more than patience and time. You know, we're going to need assistance to solve a problem that's like that. But, but again, like if we look at this metaphor that Peter's using a little bit more, it's going to, it's going to help us. See, it's a lamp, a lamp shining into a dark place. And when we think of a lamp shining into a dark place, I mean, it's the illumin, you know, we just see things brightening up. And when the light goes into the darkness, you know, you see shadows and things just starting to pop. And the Bible uses darkness in a different way, though. Like, we have darkness of the lights and the darkness. But when the Bible uses the word darkness, it's talking about evil. When the Bible talks about darkness, it's talking about being blind, or having no direction. It's about being uncomfortable and restless. However, life is not associated with those things. It's associated with good, peace, shalom, if you will, and clarity. The Bible says that we live in darkness, and God is the light. And we need his light to shine into our darkness, don't we? And as we lead, as this will lead us to our, you know, the next point that we want to bring out, the next topic of, of application, and that is that the power and majesty of Christ are illuminated through the Bible and our testimony. The power and majesty of Christ are illuminated through the Bible and our testimony. Peter's point here is that the prophetic word illuminated what he had witnessed, humbling his heart and proving to Peter that Christ is the Messiah, changing him so much so that he wants everyone to know this. And again, we don't have all the same experiences, but I feel like I skipped a page. Sorry. But... um, but the Bible does claim to be God's inspired word. And it is what he has determined that we need for this life. I'm sorry. I really feel like I did this already. But, okay. Um, but, so, again, so the point comes out, illuminating, illumination, and, very sorry about this, apologize. Okay, so, changing him so much that everybody wants to know. Right. And we don't have all the same experiences so the testimonies can't be the same, but we do all share the same prophetic word. So let's look at that for a second time. What do you think the Bible claims to be? The Bible claims to be God's inspired word. It is what he determined that we need for this life, and it does not claim to be the answer to all of our questions. It does not claim to be a comprehensive history lesson. You know that the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119? And it's 176 verses, and it is all about God's prophetic word, and it's a wonderfully written acrostic poem. And it's filled with all the properties and benefits from God's word. Psalm 119, 105 is a very popular verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is the type of illumination that we need. That's the type of illumination that we should want. It's an illumination of the path to true life, the path to perfect peace. That is something that is worth slowing down for. That is something that is worth being patient for watch and reflect on. So what are we being challenged to explore here? Do we want to experience God? Do we want to see his power and majesty in action? We might listen to him and we must follow him. If we look at Christ's life and we study his words and his deeds through the gospels, we'll see that everything he did was to promote the father's will. His private and public time was always about the father. If the son of God showed how important scripture was to him, how much more so for us. See, the illuminating effects of the Bible are amazing. 
They, the Bible can convict us of sin. The Bible can change our course. The Bible can give us direction as to which direction or which way we should head. Sometimes the Bible gives us specific things as to not to do. And sometimes the Bible just gives us a way to think. But as we do pay attention, there's something else that stands out in this illuminating effect. And that is until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And let's just take a minute to break that down. And so if you think about the morning star, that is a glorious scene if you wake up early enough, right? But I used to work at an overnight job, and we would see it, watch the sun come up. And when the sun would come up, all the darkness would just run. It was so fast because the light is just, just pushing it out. And you can feel on your skin the warmth. The sun is bringing, it's changing the temperature of, of the area. And all the wind is just rushing by because of the heat that's coming from the sun and just pushing it away. This is, this is massive power. And, and the colors from the sun, as it reflects off the sky, you just have this rainbow of like beautiful colors. And so how would the sun, something like that, being described, rise in our hearts? Well, see, the point is, is that Christ is that sun. It's his glory. We need that glory to rise like the sun, not outside, but inside. See? And... As we see this, you know, it'll, all the things that we read in Scripture and all the things we experience should illuminate the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is powerful and glorious. And we gain a deeper understanding of his power and his majesty as we experience him and as his word shines light on those experiences. And yet at the same time, illumination is also something that's very scary for us because more often than not, we would rather ignore what's in the darkness than see it. I mean, it's tough, but it's easier to ignore is what it feels like. But that's not how light works. It's non-selective. Light cannot pick what it chooses to illuminate and what it chooses not to illuminate. When light comes in, it shines on everything. Everything is revealed. And so most of the time, what ends up happening in this conviction is that sometimes God will show us what's happening in the world. And we like to point out there, but most of the time, God's trying to work on what's happening here. We don't want to see it. But see, the problem is that if we don't see it, and we don't want to see it, and we don't want to deal with it, and we don't want to acknowledge it, then how is he supposed to fix it? You can never change, fix a problem that you don't claim exists. You have to come to terms with that first. And so you think about this. Where in your life do you need illumination? Where do you need his power and majesty to shine in your life? Is, would you say in your relationship with him that the morning star is rising in your hearts? Do you feel that when you're in his presence? Do you feel that when you spend time with him? If not, why? Would you like to change that? See, the evidence that this is a dark world is overwhelming, yet Christ's power and majesty will illuminate our paths we can trust him as he leads us, chasing away the darkness as we trust him to grow us in faith. Finally, let's go to the last section of this passage, starting in verse 20. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, for this last section, we are not looking at the the prophet's own interpretation. We are not looking at the will of man. But what God wants us to see is that these um, prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, our final point that we're going to see is that the power and majesty of Christ are shared through the Bible and the testimony, and our testimony. That's clearly what has happened to Peter. Christ shares this experience with him. Again, we talked about this earlier. Peter contributed nothing to this conversation. In fact, God basically tells him to shut up when he starts talking. He tells him, listen to my son. You have nothing to add to this right now. But this experience shapes Peter greatly because he could never produce it on his own. Like, this is clearly something only God can do. And God, in his infinite mercy, chose to share it with Peter. And so, he witnessed for firsthand, firsthand the power and majesty of Christ. What a powerful moment in his life. It's so much so that a fisherman was writing a theological, theological letter to a church, and we're studying it today based on that experience. And it is still changing people now through the shared power of, and majesty of Christ. And if we see that Peter is sharing this, can we take a second to talk about evangelism here? Like, sharing the gospel, we talk about that, and we know that that's a command from Christ. But see, something happens with us as we look at it as, as an obstacle. It's something we have to do. And it becomes difficult because we don't want to be uncomfortable and we're trying to dance around it and get to it, yet we can't really do it. And it's not, it feels like it's unsuccessful. We feel like we failed and we don't repeat it. But see, something is different about this opportunity where he wrote the letter as opposed to what we were looking at before, you know, that we, we just described, is that this experience is not just like Jesus told Peter, hey, go do this. And Peter's angrily writing letters to everybody. The experience changed Peter's heart. It changed him like ridiculously changed this man so much so that he ditched everything that he had to follow Christ. That's what this experience did. He saw that who Christ is, is like who Christ claims to be is who he actually is. And so for us to engage in evangelism, it would take us to realize, like to see the importance in Christ in our life. For us to look and to see that, yes, it's a duty, but it's also a joy. Yes, Christ has saved us, and he's helped us so much, and he's so beneficial in so many ways that it's not just something that we do on Sunday, but it's something that affects every area of our lives. So that as we go through those doors, it's not just like we left Jesus in this room, but he goes with us through to our houses, to our work, to everywhere we may go. And then we look for opportunities to share with him. So if, it's, if he shares his power and glory with us, like he did with Peter, is for us to share it with others, just like Peter is modeling here. And so we may be asking, how do we do that? Well, if we take a look at the Bible and we look at Acts 2.42, we can see that that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So it's devotion to the word, close, intimate community, and prayer. These are all means of grace that God chooses to use to get us to know him better. He uses his word to reveal things. He uses all of us to reveal things to each other. 
And in Acts 2 ends that they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. And that's a beautiful picture. Let me ask you, do you want that at this church? Because this church needs that. We need that. You know, like if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really need help. We need to be saved. Like, I need the Christ Savior to share his power and majesty with me. It's like, I need that to happen here at this church. How about you guys? Is that something that you need in your life? Is that something you want to expect when you come into these doors? Is your life really under control in any man-made methods that you can possibly trust? Because the answer is no. The word caring right, was in this, and it carries this sense, it conveys a sense right, of trust and safety, guidance and stability. We as a church are in desperate need of this type of caring right now. We are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit to carry this congregation to his desired destination. So, how can we know that the power and majesty can truly be shared? In the way that we know that the power and majesty can truly be shared is if we look at the gospel. We look at how God has shared his attributes with us. How he's given us the ability to love, to communicate, to share to accomplish. We look at his love and the mercy that he's lavishly given us, taking care of us and protecting us. And it goes more back to that, but even just this search, this service. If we talked about light, shining faces, glory. We were singing songs about shown faces and glory and lights and mountains. And that's not because Carrie and I worked this. I finished the sermon this morning. Carrie was gone the whole time. God shared with us this morning. Like he prepared this for us. Carrie talked about how the kids were going through and talking about the prophecies in Isaiah. That ties into this. Like God has been preparing all of us for his word this morning. And so with his shared, you know, communal love of us, how do we respond to such a thing? Right? And, and I think... We want to respond well, but the problem is we don't. We run from him. We hide. We like the benefits that he offers when they fit our plans. But that's not what he tells us to do. He calls us to follow him, to trust him with everything we have. Knowing that in the good and the bad, he's still working those things for our good. That we trust him alone, not lies or myths or anything else that someone's trying to sell you. And when we get overwhelmed with our sin, and we realize how much we've fallen, how bad we've treated him and each other, how much we've done to ourselves, just been not responsible for the things that he's entrusted us with. We get overwhelmed with guilt, and we know that we've failed. But yet, that's why he sends his son. His son comes to live the life that we should have lived. He uses his power and his majesty to illuminate the sin in our lives and the hope that he provides. And then he goes not because he deserved it, but because he loves us. He goes to the cross and he takes all that sin and shame upon himself and he pays the price that we deserve. And three days later, he rose again in power and in majesty. And that continues from now until forever. And that's how we know 
that he shares his power. Because when he rose again, he rose to new life. And when we get baptized, and when we come to him, and when our hearts are changed, that is the promise that he offers us, new life. And that life is not going to be the way that you think it's going to be, but it's going to be the way that he desires to get you to the place he wants to get you. God is our hope. Jesus Christ is the hope. And that's what we are to look for today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to spend together. Lord, you're amazing. You're you're powerful, majestic. Lord, we just thank you for sharing that with us, for revealing it to us this morning as you've been preparing these things for us. You are wonderful, Lord. And we just, we never acknowledge it the way we should. Lord, we need you. We are in desperate need of you. Illuminate our situations. Illuminate the sin in our hearts. Eliminate what we've been trusting in and where we have been failing. Lord, we want to come back to you. You call us. You beckon us because the mercy is there. Allow us to trust your son and the work he did. Allow us to embrace your gift of mercy and salvation. Allow us to trust you as we walk through those doors, knowing that every situation, good and bad, you will use to shape us for your glory and that we can always trust in you, knowing that in the end, we'll be rejoicing as we see in heaven that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we see the tree of life sitting in the garden, having its fruit while every season, always mature, always providing, always there. And as we sit in your presence, knowing that there's no sun, because you illuminate the throne room, we ask, Lord, that we'd all be able to share in that moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.